2,000 years ago, the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus. There was two. There was, well, there's four, actually. But James and Jude, they actually wrote some letters to the church. And 2,000 years ago, Jude wrote this letter. He was, he was compelled. He was, it was probably just a, a regular letter of encouragement to some Jewish brothers and sisters. Jude was, uh, or Judah, actually. He was probably called Judah, so Jude for short. Uh, maybe even called Judas. Kind of a, like, well, we can't actually name a Bible Judas because he's the bad guy, so let's call him Jude instead. But Jude uh, did not like his brother to begin with. If you have siblings, maybe you know what we're talking about. But both Jude and James they didn't, they didn't think that their brother was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the anointed one, the holy one, the one that set apart. They didn't believe that their brother was God incarnate. They, they just grew up with the guy, so they, they knew him, fam, familiar with their brother. And what does familiarity do? Familiarity breeds contempt. And so we see this in the Gospels where, Je- where Jesus' own brothers they held, and, and the rest of his family, they held contempt for him for, because God was working in him and through him. And in fact, he was God in the flesh. They didn't like it. They didn't recognize their brother for being God. A little complicated, right? It'd be awkward if your brother was God. I know. Talk about inferiority complex, Right? <laughs> They didn't believe he was God until he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. Then they got it. Oh my gosh, our brother is God. He resurrected from the dead for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm sure the brothers, they sinned against the Lord, literally, right? I wonder what horrible things they did to Jesus when he was a child. Gave him a Melvin or spiked his kool-aid or something you know what horrible things did they do to him like oh my gosh like we sin we feel really bad could you imagine being them and actually sinned against the lord and so anyway jude he's writing this letter he is he believes that jesus is god in the flesh my own brother this is how he refers to it jude chapter one verse one jude a servant translates literally as slave or bond servant of jesus christ and the brother of james like if i was writing this i would say and the brother of jesus but he doesn't do that. To those who have been called, who are loved by God, that's you. So even though this was written 2,000 years ago, this letter is actually probably more relevant, more applicable to us today, right now, in these seats, to the church in general across the world. This letter is for us more so today than it was when, he, when Jude wrote it to this group of people. This letter is prophetic. It's written to us. And it's written to you. You are God's loved. Mercy, peace, and love be yours. Now, usually when Paul opens up one of his letters, he says, grace, peace, and love. But Jude says, mercy, mercy. Uh, grace is, uh, is getting stuff that you, that, that you don't deserve, right? We all need to be graced by God. The, the, the grace is un, undeserved, unmerited 
favor from the Lord. Now, mercy is, is very similar, but it's a little bit different. So grace is getting stuff that you do not deserve from God, getting blessings that you don't deserve, that you do not earn. It's called salvation. But mercy is not getting what you deserve. We need both. We need grace and mercy. The theme of this one is going to be mercy because it, the, the, what he's going after is heavy. Very heavy. The, the, this letter in the New Testament is by far one of the most severe letters. It doesn't necessarily start off that way, but it becomes one of the most severe letters. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about sal- the salvation that we share, dear friends, let's just talk about all the cool things that God is doing in us and through us. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about salvation. So he's getting into some theology, which is really neat, which is really cool. But the Holy Spirit hijacks Jude's letter. Jesus, Jude's brother, hijacks his letter and says, no, you're going to write about something else. This is why it ends up here, because we have to hear this today. No, I felt I had to write. The Holy Spirit urged me and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That's you. And the Holy Spirit is telling me that you need to contend for this faith. For certain men, and to be politically correct, you can write in women too if you want. For certain men whose Condemnation was written about long ago. They have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our Lord, of God, into a license for immorality and to deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord, Paul, or, or, Jude is saying, you guys need to fight for the faith because in your midst, among you, there has slipped in a group of people that want to corrupt you morally and want to convince you that Jesus is not God in the flesh. This letter, this warning, this, this severe approach that, that Jude is bringing us, he's saying, you, we need to wake up. We need to fight. We need to contend because Second uh, Timothy says this, in the last days there will be those among you that will be false prophets and false teachers. In the last days, many will fall away from the faith. In the last days, even the elect, I don't know who the elect are. Maybe, I don't know who, it could be you, I don't know. Even the elect will be deceived. This is what us theologians call the great apostasy. In the end days, there will be a great falling away. There's going to be an apostasy within the ranks of, of the church. Large portions of the body of Christ will fall away from the faith. They will lose. They will fall. They will fail. So this is very sobering. This is very interesting. 
And uh, this is written to a specific community because the specific community, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. But it's happening here today in our midst, in the church at large. So today, we are going to be looking, we have, I've got a, I actually got a six-point sermon for you if you like to take notes. Six points, two, three-point sermons. So we'll see how we do. So an apostate, apostasy is a theology, is a system that comes in and deceives a group of people. All right. Uh, Verses five through seven talk us about a rebellion that, uh, that, that the church will have against God's natural order. Talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, so we can probably put two to two together to figure out what's going on there. Verse eight. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they slander celestial beings. That's angels. Then he goes talking about the, um, the arch. Archangel Michael and is disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. Uh, if you want to research this one, you got to go outside the scriptures on this, because Jude is actually quoting the, uh, uh, an outside book called the Book of Moses. So, the archangel and the devil were fighting over Moses' body for some reason, and uh, he he quotes a different source. In addition to that, uh, he also quotes the Book of Enoch, which is not in here either. There are two sources. Uh, writings that are outside of the Bible, it would be like us quoting C.S. Lewis. Is, is mere Christianity and the, is that scripture? No, it's not. It's an amazing, inspired work of God, but, it, the, but mere Christianity written by C.S. Lewis is not the Bible. And so, but we quote it, and I think it's, it's, it's appropriate to do so. Yet, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroyed them. Here we go. Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. That's point number one on recognizing an apostate. All right. Would you be able to recognize an apostate? Would you recognize a false prophet, a false teacher in your midst? How do you know if you're not a false prophet or a false teacher, right? If you're thought, I think those thoughts. It's complicated. Do you know that there's people, there's groups, there's, there's Christians, brothers and sisters that view me as an apostate? That's true. Because I believe in the charismatic gifts because I believe that God still speaks to us, because I believe that God still heals today, I believe that we can activate prophetic ministry, because of the way that we worship, some people view the way that we worship as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and therefore they view us as an apostate. I, did you guys know that you were apostates this morning? I'm sorry. I said all these other great things about you, but in addition, you're an apostate. No. It, so you guys understand why we need to see this, why we need to go through this. Jude lays it all out for us. I think it's very clear, but let's get to it. Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. Point number one, that have rushed to the prophet into Balaam's error. Number two is Balaam's error. 
And number three, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Number three is Korah's rebellion. So what are these things? If you've been following along in our series, and if you can remember all the way back to Genesis, uh, this is where the Bible all comes together. It all fleshes out. It all begins to make sense. Cain was the firstborn. He was, he was Adam and Eve's first son, the oldest son. And Cain and his younger brother Abel, um, they, they were religious folk. They, Cain believed in God and sacrificed to God, gave God his offering, and so did Abel. So both brothers bring in their offering to the Lord. Cain's offering is rejected. Abel's offering is received. Cain was a farmer. He, was, he brought in an offering of grain. Abel says that Abel was a shepherd. I actually think that Abel might have been a hunter-gatherer type. I'm going to write a book about that someday. Abel's, Abel killed an animal, cut its throat, gave it to the Lord as his offering, a blood sacrifice, a blood offering. You see where I'm going with that? His offering was accepted. Was it because he gave God his best? Was it because he sacrificed more than Cain did? Why was it that, Cain, that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was it? Do you guys know? There's, one, it's very, there's, a, there's a very fine minutia to this. It says that Abel's offering was offered in faith. Faith. That was it. What did we learn last week in Hebrews? There's nothing that you can do to please God with the exception of faith. And Cain, the way of Cain, well, he did not offer his offering in faith. He gave a part of what he had created with his own hands, trying to buy God off. You see, Cain believed in God. Cain actually wanted God's blessings. Cain was trying to pay God, but it was Cain's crop. It's something that he created. The animal was something that God created and gave to Abel and trusted Abel. So there's the, the way of Cain. See, Cain is a religious person. You know that? Cain is a good church-going guy. The way of Cain is to say, it is by my works, it is by my good deeds that I get into heaven. See, Cain is ultimately selfish. He wants God's toys, but he does not want God. He wants blessings, but he does not want to move into faith and trust in the Lord. And so the way of Cain is basically selfishness and control. Do you see it? It's this ability to, to say, all right, I, I, I want to be selfish. I want to control. I want to do, do religion my way and not God's way. I want to choose how worship is done. I want to dictate the terms of my offering. That is the way of Cain. That is apostasy. And believe it or not, it has crept into the church. 
Number two, they have rushed to the prophet of Balaam. Uh, if you remember Numbers, when we went through Numbers, Balaam was a prophet. I mean, he was a legitimate prophet. He actually had the ability to hear God's voice, to know what God's will is. Wouldn't you love to know what God's will is? I got some good news for you. You can. Balaam, his error is that he was a prophet of God, anointed by God, had this spiritual gift of discernment, words of knowledge, prophetic ministry, like he was able just to get the supernatural download. But what we've learned about most prophets, for some strange reason, is that they seem to be a little tainted morally. Like there was something wrong with Balaam's character because Balaam's heir, even though that he is a man of God, he, uh, he, he was in it for the money. He was a prophet for hire. He was a prophet for profit. He, he, in his mind, because he knows what God's heart is, he knows what God's will is, and he's looking maybe outside the situation, and he's looking at God's people. They're out, you know, they're out wandering around the desert, right? They're trying to get into the promised land. And he's looking at God's people, and he's saying, why, why would you want to like them? Because God, can't you clearly see that they're all a bunch of sinners? That they're all rebellious, stiff-necked people. Why would you possibly want to bless them? Why don't you bless me instead? Okay, God, you're not going to bless me? Okay, I will bless myself then. I will use this spiritual gift, and I will use it for profit. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've seen spiritual people that will say, maybe not just spiritual people, let's just say self-help people. They will say, if you buy this program, if you sign up for this conference, if you do the self-help book, you will prosper. And certain areas of the church, we do this too. To get a special blessing, buy the holy water that came from the Jordan. Then you will be blessed. It's the way of Balaam. It is, it, is, it is getting a word and paying for it. Balaam's idea was, okay, what, God, since I can't really work in, in your context because I don't like your people, I'm going to work for the enemy. And so Balaam gets hired by the king of Moab to curse God's people. Here's the funny part. This is hilarious. In addition to his donkey making fun of him, his gon- you know, his, Balaam's donkey starts talking back to him. What are you doing? You're an idiot. How would you like it for you if your donkey or your animal, your pet, just says, you're, you're an idiot? What's the matter with you? That, then you'd know that's from the Lord, right? If your animals start talking to you. He gets up on this mountain. He's looking down over God's people. He begins to curse them. He opens up his mouth, and then all these blessings come out. Isn't that fun? He can't. He can't prophesy negative things into God's people. And here's the thing. Here's the sign of apostate. Here's the sign of a false prophet, a false teacher. You get around their circles. You're around the small group, and somebody begins to prophesy or speak into you or whatever. And if it comes out as curses, well, there, that will be your sign, folks. If the prophet of God, if he's telling you that you are a sinner, you are wretched, 
you are a miserable creature, if he is pouring these evil things, these evil, evil prophetic words, identities into you, that's a false prophet. It's the same thing as, as Balaam trying to curse God's people. Don't align yourselves with teachers or prophets that are going to curse you through negativity, through manipulation, through control. If a prophet or a teacher of God or a pastor ever tells you, you know what, there's no, you, just, you can't connect with God unless you do it through me. That's, that's a false prophet. You have complete access to the Lord. You do not need a middleman. Yes, we will pray for you. Yes, we will intercede. Yes, we will step into that place and believe and contend for your strength and your faith. But you do not need a priest anymore. You do not need a middleman. You do not need a guru. You have him now. Every good thing that, po- that God could possibly do, you have complete access to it right now. The only thing that's keeping you from it is, I don't know, what's going on between your ears. If you accepted Jesus into your heart, you are no longer a sinner. You are a daughter of Zion, and you just sinned last week. But you're not a sinner. Isn't that cool? So don't let anybody tell you that you're a sinner when you have been saved by the work of Christ. Don't believe it. It is the error of Balaam, false prophets. And then the next one, which is probably even the most interesting, it is the destruction of Korah. Korah actually came before Balaam, so this is, chronologically, it's out of place, but as far as our spiritual development, it it is a natural progression. First, we start off with the religious mentality of Cain, the way of Cain, that leads us into false teachings and following false prophets and putting our faith and our trust into a man or a system, rather putting our faith and our trust into Jesus. But the next step is just full-blown rebellion. And Korah was, he was actually a prince of Israel. He was, he was the cool guy. If, if, if the children of Israel, if, if, if they were a democracy, if they would have like been voting in their leader, it would have been Korah, not Moses. He was the prince. He was the good-looking guy. He was the one with the smooth talk. And he does something that is just Interesting. Something that you need discernment in order to filter out what is truth. What is true truth. Korah is challenging Moses' authority as God's chosen man. He says, you know what? Uh, We are tired. Everybody is tired of starving to death. We're all tired of eating this manna from heaven. Like it was good you know, a few times, but now we're used to it. Now you're, we're familiar with bread of heaven, and we don't like it anymore. We're tired of wandering around. We need some new leadership. And your brother Aaron is, we're not, like he's definitely not qualified to be a priest. And so they bring in like hundreds and numbers of these princes of Israel to challenge Moses' authority, God's plan. But they're not okay with God's plan. They want man's plan, right? And Korah says something very interesting. He says, don't we too hear from the Lord? 
It's not just you, Moses, but we all get to hear from the Lord, right? I just got done telling you that, that you too can be a prophet and you, you too have access to the Lord and you don't need a priest or a holy man or a guru to connect you to God, right? I just got done telling you that. But here is, here is the, the, the thing. Here's the, here's the issue with apostasy. Here's the issue with deception is that deception is deceiving. And good deceivers use truth to mislead, Right? So what Chorus said is actually true. Yes, we all get to hear from God. True statement. But it's misguided truth. Misguided in that what he is doing is he's breeding disunity. He is breeding rebellion. He is re- he's breeding this, this anti-Christ setting. Okay, this is what, let's just continue. Verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feasts. Um, the love feast was basically their potlucks, which is where they took communion. They didn't do communion like we do, where they pass the little plastic cups, and they have it, you know, a nice little song, and you eat it a wafer. That was not communion. Communion was potlucks, right? We do potlucks, right? Where they remembered what Jesus did at their dinner table. They didn't make it a religious thing that we've done. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the little tradition every once in a while, and I like my little plastic cups. It takes me back to my childhood when I was really naughty. And I would crack them all the time. Hmm. But when we do potlucks, we do communion. Get that into your heads, folks. And so in the midst of their communion service, There's blemishes. Your version might say, anybody have like NSAB, it might say like, uh, I don't know, uh, reefs or, basically the true translation, blemish is not right. The true translation is hidden rocks. Rocks that are under the water. This is a mariner's term. So in, you know, you cannot see the problem. And when you are in a, in, a, in a community of believers and everybody is saying the right things and everybody's praying the right prayers and we all speak the same language, can you spot a deceiver in your midst? You can't because they're under the water. So what's going on in Jude's time, what is happening in our time is that in the midst they have been infiltrated by wolves and they don't see it. They're eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Wolves in sheep's clothing, right? You've heard that one? They are clouds without rain. He's quoting Proverbs, I think it's 24 there. Uh, Blown by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. Not just mostly dead, but twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. That's a quote from Isaiah. They are wandering stars from whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So these apostates, well, they, they're doomed because they deny Christ, because their, 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 their goal, their mission is to destroy the family of God. What does it really practically look like for us? 
years ago. I, you know, the, the spirit of, of apostasy is, is in our churches. It just is. Um, you know, in the, the beginning of the book, the, the rebellion against God's natural order, it seems like that is our case in our church. Right? Just take a look at, at the, the way that we've accepted any sexual ex- expression within the church. We're, you know, not only are we okay with the homosexual lifestyle within the church, we're okay with people shacking up together. We're okay with pornography. We're okay with all of these different things. We've let that stuff seep into our church. Those seem to be the obvious ones, right? But I want to go after the, the ones that we've let slip in that are not so obvious. Years ago, um, before most of our leadership here, um, years ago, we had a really great, thriving youth group, and God was really doing amazing things. You know, we were seeing the kingdom of God being expressed within our young people. It's really cool. And whenever God is up to something, whenever the Holy Spirit is moving, whenever people are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know who can't stand that? It's the enemy of God. Like, he cannot stand it when his children pray in the Spirit. He cannot stand it when they activate their spiritual gifts and they begin to function in power. We can talk about all these other things that seem like obvious apostasy, but frankly, the greatest apostasy in the church is the church that is not powered by the Holy Spirit. That my friends, I believe, is the greatest apostasy. And so what happened within our youth group? Good, thriving youth group. And, all right, I'm gonna, this is going to rub some people the wrong way. It's okay if there's gas, because there was gas for a service. Unfortunately, it's true because it's exactly what Jude is talking about. But back in the day, our youth group was infiltrated by other kids from other faiths. Ready for this one? Specifically, the Mormon church. They'd sent their their kids in as little missionaries to date our children. And guess what? It worked. And where there was a a family, a godly family that grew up in the church, now all of a sudden their son is dating a cute little Mormon girl and we're freaking out. But mom and dad aren't freaking out. Like, God, don't you understand? Can't you see what's going on? Oh, I don't understand what the problem is, Pastor. No, the problem is, is that they're trying to pull your kid out of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I thought we all worshiped the same God. Uh, no, no. We, just because they have Jesus on their billboard does not mean that we're serving the same Jesus. Our Jesus is God incarnate. He is the Holy One. He is the one that has been set apart their, their Jesus is the brother of, of the devil. There's a, there's a major difference there. Major difference. 
Our Bible says that you don't get your own planet. Maybe you do, I don't know. But the Bible doesn't say that we do. Jesus is not just one of many of God's offsprings. He is God's only son. He is the second member of the Holy Trinity. See, this is where we part ways, folks. But they're such good people. I don't understand. Their, their kids behave a lot better than our kids do. It's true, right? It is so true. What, like, their kids don't drink, don't smoke, don't party. At least they don't, well, anyway. Right? And our kids do. And so the parents will choose morality over truth because it's misguided truth. Oh, fight for your faith. Contend for your faith. Fight for your kids. Raise them up in the way of the Lord. Make sure that they're dating believers and they're not unyoked. Dating a non-believer is just as bad as dating a Mormon, by the way. Sorry for picking on Mormons, but um, it's apostasy. <laughs> because they don't recognize the divinity and the virgin birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. They have twisted it and manipulated it. It's not true. It's tough, huh? I told you this was the most severe book in the Bible, in the New Testament. See, God is calling us into holiness. All right, let's continue. Verse 16. Just to put a little more clarity into it. These men are grumblers. They are fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves, and they flatter others for their own advantage. Again, these are the more, these are more characteristics, more signs, more uh, telltales that somebody is a false teacher or a false prophet. They flatter others with their fancy words. Okay, so what in the world are we to do? Hopefully, from here, I want to continue to, ask, to, to encourage you to study this. These are the things that we need to contend for, to fight against, but this is what you do do. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, okay, those are the three points, the, you know, the three areas to watch out for. Here's the three things to do. But you, dear friends, you build up your faith. Number one, we need to continue to build up your faith. How do you make God happy? By giving him a really big offering? No, that's, what, that's the way of Cain. No, but what you do is you build up your holy faith. Strengthen your faith muscle. If you have a little bit of faith, you can have more. God, I... I need some more faith. Give me that spiritual gift of faith. You can get it. First thing you do, continue to strengthen your faith. Build your faith muscle. Number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. That's weird, Pastor Josh. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to speak in tongues. It's okay. You don't have to. I spent a majority of my day yesterday praying in the Spirit. And guess what? I didn't say a word. I just rested, in, rest is the key actually, I just rested in God's presence. I allowed myself to be the object of God's affection. 
without saying a word. Sometimes we just pray too much. You talk too much, homeboy, and you never shut up. The only reason why you can't hear God is because you're talking and complaining and whining too much. Just be the object of his affection. Shut up enough to let God love you. Because you are a son of thunder and you are a daughter of Zion. You are children of the light. Be it. And keep yourselves in love. Okay. Last week we talked about faith and hope. Today it is faith and love, right? The greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So again, faith and love, they're, the, they're, they're opposite sides of the same coin. We need to continue to make ourselves the object of God's love. We need to move ourselves in God's love, rest in God's love. We need to be abiding in Jesus. God is love. And if you continue to be in God's love, not only will your discernment meter hit the roof and you can be able to spot the clowns that want to take you away from your faith, you'll be able to see that once everything happens when you abide in God's love. Here's the most amazing promise in probably all of the scriptures. One of them. This, I'm just hyperbole. I can't help myself. But this one's really good. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from failing. Ah, I love your attention now. You can be kept from failing, from losing. You feel like you're just a victim all the time, right? But this, is the, this is a powerful promise of God. He will keep you from failing. He will keep you from being a victim. He will keep you from that negative identity that you've attached to yourself. He will push you into your spiritual identity. For to him who is able to keep you from failing, and he wants to present you before his glorious presence without fault. It's true. You are no longer sinners. Yes, if you remain in God's love, if you abide in him, this promise says you will not fail and that you will be perfect in God's sight. Yeah, Pastor Josh, you don't know what I did last week. How could I possibly be perfect? It's true. You're, that's, that's your experience. But the reality is that you are perfect, holy, pure, whitewashed in God's sight. So those are the three things that we got to do. Build up your faith, pray in the Spirit, and remain in God's love so that we will never fail. It really is that simple. Get the band to come to the front. Let's pray. If you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I just want to encourage you just to pray this prayer with me. And then I want you to agree with the truth that's going to come behind it. Heavenly Father, right now, I am a sinner saved by grace, and that was my old self. I receive you into my heart. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, the holy and anointed one. God in the flesh, 
the perfect blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins. You are worthy of all worship and all praise. If you prayed that prayer with me, you've got all of the good stuff. You, at this very moment, you have been made perfect, sinless, spotless. God has completely forgotten about all of your sins. As far as he's concerned, they've been obliterated, wiped out the history books. The only reason why sin remains in your life is because you remember it. For us that are believers, you are no longer sinners. You have been justified. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, so did your sin, so did your failings, so did your shortcomings. And you nailed those sins on the cross with Jesus 2,000 years ago. You are now free. You are now made perfect. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You are a holy one. You have been sanctified. Defied. You are a son of thunder and a daughter of Zion. Don't let anybody tell you different. Don't let every prophet or teacher dupe you into something else. And if you do blow it, that's okay. Just get right back up and reattach yourself to who God's called you to be. It's that simple. Let's quit beating ourselves up. We have been, we've been forgiven and sanctified. So Heavenly Father, right now, I pray that you just seal this moment. Seal it in your Holy Spirit. I pray right now as we continue to worship you that we will be praying in spirit and in truth. God, I pray in our own ways that we will be praying in the spirit, that we will actually be praying your prayers, the things that you would have us say. Keep us from complaining. Keep us from grumbling. Keep us from whining, God, because we know that you inhabit the praises of your people's Bless us, Lord, in your name. We love you, Lord. God, I pray you just cause your face to shine among your people today. Give them victory. Give them truth. Help them to walk in confidence and authority. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.